In this episode of Gray Matter, Discord founder and CEO Jason Citron talks to Greylock partner Josh Elman about esports, the rise of gaming, and the future of messaging. For more news and podcasts, please visit news.greylock.com. Hi, this is Josh Elman from Greylock Partners, and I'm excited to be here today with Jason Citron, the CEO and founder of Discord. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Jason, Discord's all about helping people who play games communicate to each other. Sounds like you've been a long-time gamer, love playing games. Just tell us a little about your experience discovering these kind of you know PC games and multiplayer games and sort of what that's meant for you. Sure, sure. Yeah, my, my journey with games actually starts when I was like five years old, sitting in my parents' living room and discovering uh, Double Dribble on the NES, which is like way before. What a great game. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my dad had a, uh, a Packard Bell PC, uh, which um, we had, I think it was called Prodigy back then, where you could go online and actually also play some games with people. I mean, I was a little kid back then. But um, PC gaming has just become part of my life, like just growing up and playing games with my dad and then uh, with my little brother. And if I like fast forward to now, like most of the, the best relationships in my life were built playing games like really funny story i like to tell is how i met my wife on our first date we went to an arcade and i was like all right we'll play some games and and you know it'll be fun but i don't know we'll we'll see if she like you know gets mad and comes back but uh we played house of the dead which is like a you know a shooting game in the arcade and she beat me <laughs> like wait what the crap is this and then it turns out she like knew about obscure video game music like the black mages and and was like a huge fan of Final Fantasy series, and I came to learn that actually she really likes shooting games. Like on our second date, I like brought out Guitar Hero. Like you know, let's try something more approachable, maybe for someone that I, I wasn't sure was a gamer. After like ten minutes, she she straight up asked me again, "Can we play something where you shoot stuff?" And so now we've finished Gears of War co-op, Gears of War one, two, three, waiting for four. Like, <laughs> and so now, what are the some of the games that you play most? Yeah, so. Uh, when I'm not when I'm not playing with my wife, um, I love playing online PC games a lot. Um, so right now I'm like super into Overwatch, um, and I fill the gaps uh, with some Hearthstone. Yeah, I just Overwatch is my go-to jam right now. So you've been this lifelong gamer. What got you into starting companies? You know, I think Discord's your second company. You know, so so kind of you know, what got you into actually becoming an entrepreneur? Like many things, it started also when I was a kid. Um, my dad was an entrepreneur, a um, very different kind than, than around here in Silicon Valley. My dad owned two haagen franchises when I was growing up. So I used to see him um, you know, getting up early and coming home late and just working and trying to build his own thing. He brought me in um, one summer, and I like worked behind the register, and I was like his best worker, you know, <laughs> like this seven-year-old kid scooping ice cream and working the register. In high school, I got into um, doing like IT work, for um, families and, and small businesses around where we lived in, in South Florida at the time and, um, and then discovered programming because I, fig- I figured out you could like make games by programming since I got into programming and it was around the time of the, of the bubble and I figured out that I could uh, go online and, and write code for people I've never met and they would send me money which I could then use to go and buy video games. And my parents actually thought... Um, that I was like selling drugs or something because I, I would come downstairs. I, I remember very, very clearly one time I came, I came downstairs from my room and I was like, "Mom, um, how do I set up a bank account so that I can receive money from people on the internet?" And she's like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> anyway, so I, I knew I always wanted to start my own company, and I kind of got a taste for 
how doing something that I thought was really fun programming could could reward me in that way. So if I remember, your first um, company um, ended up being called OpenFaint, but you started it to build a game. Yeah. You know, you know this, you're programming, doing IT, you go to college, then it's like, you know, I think the iPhone was just coming out. And I remember you as actually early founder starting a mobile game company. And I think that's when we like first interacted a little bit. And so tell us a little about that mobile game company, because that's not what it ended up becoming. Yeah, so that company actually started um, by launching – we launched a, a game the day the App Store opened. So for the previous six months, I had been working at um, at an incubator, um, noodling around with things. We launched something right, – it was sort of around the rise of when like Facebook Platform was also opening. And I just really wanted to build a games company and thought that the launching of the App Store might be sort of like when a new PlayStation launches or when a new – Nintendo console launches, I was like, you know, the 10 games on the shelf, so to speak, are going to get distribution. And so I was like, we're going to launch a game the day the apps are open. And we did. Um, And we got a ton of distribution. You know, back then it was like, who knew what this Apple phone thing was going to be like? Wow. (laughs) Right? It's kind of funny. And of course, that was was history in the making right there. What was the game that you made? So the game was called Aurora Faint. And it was basically a riff on uh, this game called Tetris Attack, which is an obscure version of Tetris that was really popular on Super Nintendo, uh, combined with a Lord of the Rings aesthetic and some actually very modern kind of um, social RPG mechanics. So uh, we launched the game, got actually a ton of users, uh, but it didn't end up uh, making any money or really becoming a business. But in that game, we had built a lot of um, asynchronous multiplayer features that are, that are now standard now, like leaderboards and chat rooms and messaging and sharing um, and like, you know, quests and, st- and stuff like that. We thought maybe we take out that tech and make it available as a service for other developers to use, sort of like, you know, Xbox Live. Uh, so we actually um, announced that it was in private beta uh, before building anything, right? Because <laughs> we actually didn't have much money left. Like, I, we were it's probably three weeks away from going back home and moving in with my parents again because the company was going was to go under. Um, but we, we managed to get an article uh, announcing it in private beta. And uh, with the mailing list of developers that signed up, I went and raised a seed round and then worked like a maniac for three months and launched OpenFaint. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's some bold investors, and it's a, a great way to sort of talk about how to raise some money, you know, based on, based on a little bit of proof. And, and also, you were right at the dawn of this, this incredible new platform. Okay, so you go and you start building OpenFaint, and, and it, it really started to work. I remember I was at Facebook at the time, working on the Facebook platform, seeing the massive explosion there of social products. And we were, we were looking at OpenFaint as kind of building that first platform on, on mobile. So what happened there with the company? Yeah, so that was that was a crazy ride, right? Um, we spent about two years from launch until we exited. Um, we sold to a Japanese firm called Gree uh, for a little over $100 million. Wow. Um, and uh, at that time, we had, I think, close to 100 million users. Something like 30% of the top 20 games were using our service. It was pretty remarkable. The personal learnings for me, which were crazy, were just going from being basically a, a product guy, a gamer, programmer, to like running a company with a hundred people in the span of two years, I, I call it the business school of hard knocks, right? <laughs> so you sold it to Gree. Kind of where is Open Faint today? Selling a company is one of those things where like you're working on something, you're pouring your heart into it, and you're passionate about what you're trying to, to create in the world, right? In this case, with Open Faint, we're really trying to build tools that we're going to bring people together around games on mobile. Um, you know, much like I care about because of because of my life. Um, and so when when we sold the company, like. I was not 
by any matter of course thinking like okay we're done with that vision like people don't need to connect through games anymore so i I sold it thinking that we were going to get a platform to be able to do it in a bigger way um and after leaving realizing that that wasn't going to be the case um i did some soul searching and realized that actually i still really deeply care about bringing meaningful games to the to, to the world and and um enabling people to connect and build relationships over games and that was the founding observation behind creating um discord so if I recall, you'd sold your company degree, you'd ended up leaving, you were kind of on the beach for a little while. Peter Relin, who I know had been very involved in Open Faint, you know, and and um, and you Web, you know, was a friend of mine too, and he was like, You've gotta meet Jason. He's gonna go back and build another game. And you know, we'd we'd met before and so so then we meet and and the first time we sat down together, you pitched me a vision of uh, a new iPad MMO that was just going to be like where everybody was going to spend time playing. And you were going to go into like tablet games in the same way that you'd been first on the iPhone. kind of. And, and I think that was called Fates Forever. Tell, tell us a little bit about sort of that vision of getting back in. Did you have a team? Were you doing it by yourself? Kind of what is it that prompted you to like found another company? The funny thing is what actually prompted me to found another company was that I was just kind of getting bored not doing anything <laughs> and and trying to think about you know what else to do. And and the the mission that I was on about you know connecting people through games really mattered to me, and so I just started working on some games as just at home by myself. And after a couple months, I was like, you know what? Why don't I go raise some try and raise some money and and put a team together and, and like take a real a real swing at this? So we started with with the iPad game. The the idea at that time that I was thinking was that uh, the growth rate of the iPad market was astronomical, and the curve was actually growing faster than iPhones. And so I thought, like, you know, if iPads end up grow- continuing to grow at this rate and you extrapolate it out, they're going to be everywhere. And um, the way that you use an iPad is sort of like the way you use a PC. Um, and so I thought maybe, you know, people that don't have PCs yet or people that are buying new PCs will sort of shift to tablets. And in that case, a lot of the gaming behavior that people were doing on PCs, I thought, might move to tablets. And at the time, and still largely now, like, there are very, very few great uh, games for for real gamers on on mobile platforms, and so I, I was like, why don't I start try and start a company that will bring that kind of high quality content to mobile? Um, and so from that, we looked around and thought um, that a MOBA would work really well, and we could reinvent it on a touchscreen in a cool way. And so that's where we started. So you guys started. I think you actually built it, launched it. Fates Forever was out there. Fates Forever is not the company you're running now. <laughs> what did you learn from that experience? Well, the funny thing I learned is that I'm really good at making games that that look great and and some people like and pivoting them into social products. <laughs> <laughs> what we learned from the game was was uh, that we we kind of realized that the the communication tools that we had been using to play games on the PC were still really broken. Um, by going through the process of building the mobile mobile game, right? We created voice chat in the game and guild features for a real time synchronous MOBA, and through that experience. It made us take a step back and question our own behavior um, while playing um, PC games, which we did a lot in our free time, and noticing that we were still using things like Skype and TeamSpeak um, to play, and that that seemed sort of odd. And it it made us start walking down the path of thinking about building Discord. Cool. It's a well-known story now of, of founders pivoting from one product to another one. We have Slack, which was 
you know, building a, a game called Glitch, and they ended up shutting that down and building out Slack. You know, you guys kind of had Fates Forever. You decide to shut it down and kind of build this new product, Discord. What was it actually like to decide to shut it down and go build a new product? How did you talk to your board at the time? I think Benchmark had invested by that point. You know, like, how did you actually go through that process? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this, like, that pivot is a word that we throw around so much these days, but it's hard to do. Yeah, it is. You know, when I think about about the, the pivot that we've done um, – and I guess I've done, I've done personally twice, it, it, it actually really sucks. Um, like people talk about it in, in sort of a glorified way that like you want to fail fast and, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to end up doing the thing you start doing and, and pivoting is normal. But the reality is of being inside of that, it, it really, really, really sucks. Um, there's like two – so you asked about board and then sort of like personal experience going through it. Um, I mean the challenge at a personal level going through it um, which I think people don't really talk about too much, is that pivoting by definition means you've spent a lot of time pouring your heart into something and it's not working and you have to come to grips with that, acknowledge it, name it, and then be able to think through what to do next that is constructive, all without losing your sanity, right? <laughs> um, so in, in, for me in that situation, we, you know, we had raised a bunch of money, you know, $12 million at the time. I had a team of 18 people. And coming to the realization that this thing we've been working on isn't working, if all these people are responsible for, like that's really hard. So pivoting happens, but you shouldn't hope for it, <laughs> right? Like you should really try and figure out if your if your idea has some traction before you get to the point of having other people's you know livelihoods dependent on you and your product. But once you find yourself in that situation, it's. I think it's definitely better to acknowledge the reality of, of where you are as you know as your company, and try and do the best you can with the resources you have, as opposed to just drive it off a cliff or start being reckless because that's not constructive for anybody. If you find yourself in a pivot situation, you want to be totally straight with your board. You know, like the thing that I did was I just went to, to at the time it was um, Mitch from Benchmark and Peter Rellen. Um, from UWeb and and myself and just was straight with them. You know, like I have been being very clear with them the whole time about how things were going with metrics and sort of the the, the traction of the product. So they probably saw it, you know, before yeah. I did. It's one of those things where like, you know, you're usually the last one to realize that you're drowning. Um, <laughs> so um, they were very supportive of of how to go of of working with me um, through the 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 process. It sounds like a very heart wrenching decision to to decide to move on from one project and start another. But then the team came up with this this real product called Discord, and it was sort of something I think you guys wanted. And you know, you said that you guys were playing games, and you just like hated how much it sucks. And you know, even on your website, it still says like <laughs> like you know it's time to replace uh, Skype or Teamspeak. You know, get Discord. So you kind of you know felt that yourselves. How'd you get the kernel of that idea? And and how quickly did you get it built? And sort of tell us about that moment where it started to work. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so the idea behind um, the company, even starting with Fates Forever, was always to build some kind of uh, like communication product for gamers, right? Coming back to connecting people through games is something that I really cared about. And I felt like the tools that we were using could have been better, but I wasn't exactly sure how. Um, and through building Fates Forever, it started to become more clear. And then during our pivot, um, I was having a conversation with Stan, who's a, one of the, the guys on our team, and he had a very clear articulation of what 
that next version of TeamSpeak or, or Skype would look like. And he pitched it to me, and I, and I thought it was brilliant. And he just started tinkering with it uh, while we were also working on new game concepts. And then um, after a couple months, uh, it was starting to come together, and we started you know, shifting more and more uh, engineers on it. Um, and then, and then we were in that point where it was like every engineer at the company was working on Discord, and we had some artists working on games, and, and we had to make some hard choices. You know, coming back to that that difficult pivot things you do. But one of the most remarkable things about launching Discord was that actually um, through that first probably five months, right when we were building it and working and then testing it with our close friends, like, hey, try it. What do you think? Try it with your guild. Try it with your teams on, on League, and getting feedback on. You know things that are missing and things that are not missing. We got the product to a point where, in hindsight, now it actually we had stopped adding new features or really doing anything to the product. And there was a three-week period where it hadn't taken off. It still wasn't really working. And we were talking amongst ourselves about, like, you know, maybe this actually isn't as important to people as we thought. And we actually just hadn't figured out how to get the word out and how to kickstart it. And so one of the most interesting lessons for me from that experience looking back on it is that yet again it underscores how important distribution is to a product even if the product is right and the distribution channel exists if you don't know how to find the distribution channel and get the word out in the right way you can have the right product and it doesn't matter yeah so like um a lot of the ways i think discord grows is virally from friends to friends what were some of the other distribution strategies you're talking about that really helped you kickstart it so the first initial spark um, was just getting the word out on Reddit. Like people, it, it started to go viral on Reddit. Basically, people were talking to other people um, in game subreddits, asking if they had heard of Discord, um, what they thought of it, and then that caused more people to see it. And then they would invite their friends, and then someone else would try another game and then ask about it on that subreddit. And so that started the initial the initial wave. And then uh, the second sort of big wave that we discovered um, was was um, working with Twitch streamers in particular to get the word out. A lot of Twitch streamers have been using uh, TeamSpeak to create these like VIP-only clubs you know, for their subs. And uh, there was a lot of problems with that in particular. Like You only want your subs to be there, but you, it's really hard to restrict that on TeamSpeak. So we ended up building a Twitch integration to Discord, and it solved that problem for, for streamers. And they started talking about it on stream and inviting people in and um, and today, you know, thousands of, sh- of partner streamers use Discord to do call-in shows, do raids with their with their um, with their subs, um, play with each other, um, and it, it's just it's just become a really great way to, for us to get the word out. And I think the power of Discord is really when you're using it with your friends. But I think it's great for people to understand that there's all these distribution strategies and and places you need to go where the people who you want to use your product live. Right. Reddit, Twitch, etc. You know, in order to get draw them into your product, um, talk a little bit more about security because you mentioned kind of this this Teamspeak challenge where you couldn't really keep people in or out or other things. And I know you know security is really really important to gamers and a fundamental concept of Discord. Yeah, yeah. So so security is is critical to us. Um, you know the the thing with gamers um, is that when you're online playing games, right? Like the the stability and quality of your internet connection is like priority number one, right? You're playing an online game, you need to have a solid, low latency, low jitter, low packet loss internet connection. And that, that also goes for, for your voice chat, right? Like when you're playing a real-time game, you need it to work so you can talk to your teammates. So one of the problems with, um, with the existing solutions is that they're, they're very insecure in this, in this respect, right? Like if someone can get your IP address 
they can DDoS you and take you offline. <laughs> um, so Skype has a problem where if you add, see someone's Skype name, you can add them as a friend, and then you can discover their IP address even without them allowing you to get it. So that's a problem. So like gamers don't want to to share their Skype names on the internet, and it especially was a huge problem for streamers because if their Skype name would show up on stream, there are thousands of people watching them, and people would DDoS them because they think it's funny. Um, <laughs> DDoSing doesn't seem that funny, but I can well see why some people like I trolling. Mean, it's a little funny sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but it's our job to make it not not affect people. Um, and then with TeamSpeak, also similarly, the way that you connect to a TeamSpeak server is by sharing IP addresses. And so, uh, if if the if the machine that your TeamSpeak server is running on goes down or gets DDoSed. Um, maybe not because your TeamSpeak got DDoS, but because someone else who was renting a TeamSpeak on that server got DDoS, your voice chat experience goes down. So we just designed Discord in a way using modern web technology that uh, m- removes those issues completely. So your IP address is never shared with another user, and we have a very like robust distributed cloud infrastructure built um, on Erlang that just does failover and stuff. So. Um, we get actually DDoSed all the time, nonstop, all over the world, and most of our users don't notice. That's great. And the latency is still great? Yes, the latency yeah. is amazing. So Discord's growing. Um, you kind of like see this product again. You got some of the strategy of the Twitch um, streamers working. Kind of when does it click for you that like, hey, this is really going to be our thing. We're going to go build a big company now around this. Yeah. I think it became clear to me that Discord was something pretty early on. You know, like having built now, Discord's probably like my seventh or eighth project that I've built and shipped. It's pretty easy to see early on that like, you know, week one retention and frequency of usage is just out of control. Wow. <laughs> that's real. A million weekly users is a, is a big number already. Um, that's incredible. And, and I know, you know, when I saw you, we weren't even quite at that number, but I couldn't wait to invest as we like <laughs> talked about sort of what it could become. You know, so... So we've been talking about Discord, and you just started to mention kind of how big gaming is. And not everybody who listens to this podcast may play League of Legends. You throw out words like Twitch and subs and slacking each other and, and, and all this stuff. Just can you, like, back up a step and just, like, help us understand how big and how mainstream gaming is becoming? Like, these esports events, how big are they getting? And for some people even, what's the difference between esports and just actual gaming? Because I get the – in the venture world, people – kind of combine those and don't understand that they're actually different. Right, right. Yeah, so so gaming, um, online, like core gaming, multiplayer gaming is huge. Um, the video games industry uh, on PC and console is like twice as big as movies, which is wow. pretty crazy. Um, people don't realize that. Was that like a $30 billion industry? Yeah, it's like something like that. Um, like more people watch League of Le- like esports, like League of Legends, Counter-Strike, Dota 2, than watch like baseball. Wow. Which is kind of wacky. Um, so, like, it's this massive thing that if you're part of the community, you're like, oh, obviously, it's freaking huge. But if you're not, it, it seems like this weird underground thing, but it's actually massive. Um, and so, so the difference primarily between esports and gaming, right, is that esports refers to, um, much like in regular sports, watching professionals perform in a competitive match broadcast live. Um, so there are lots of different games that people play that get broadcast as esports. Um, and th- in order for a game to, to have a scene, you know, people like will say it has a scene, is basically there's enough people that want to get together and watch people play and that people playing are good enough that it's interesting to watch, right? So 
in order for a game to make a good esport, it has to have certain level of complexity and nuance so that there can be skill and sportsmanship in it. But that that's the definition of, of esports basically. Whereas gaming is like, you know, when I go when I was saying I go home and I play Overwatch with my friends, like that's just gaming, right? Like I hop online, I open up the game, I click play, and then I get we get matched up and just go shoot stuff. Like that's not that's like amateur football, right? I guess I guess that maybe that's the way to think about it, like sort of as an analogy. What's interesting is as many people watch esports, even more are gaming yeah. and are you know buying games and spending money in games, and it's just this giant business. I think when we were looking at stats, I think it was the overall gaming market was ninety billion in, in the worldwide, um, including mobile and console and PC, and the overall movies market was a. Uh, somewhere in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So like it just shows you, you know, how big gaming is in entertainment form. So tell us about the team. I know you guys love playing games. You know, Overwatch might be the game of choice right now. What other games do you guys play and how often do you guys even play as a team to keep that fresh? So every month we do a a game night where we just like hang out and play games till the till the, till late in the morning. Recently, other than Overwatch, um, we've been playing a lot of Rocket League. Rocket League's been a mainstay. Actually, there's a group of guys that really love playing Heroes of the Storm, Blizzard's other MOBA. We don't really play League of Legends as a group so much because everyone plays that when they go home. <laughs> um, but we definitely have a League of Legends versus Dota 2 religious war probably once a week at lunch. Smash Brothers is a big one. People love playing Smash in our office. Um, I like playing it too, but I'm not I'm not like good enough to <laughs> to compete. To compete. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's hilarious. You guys must have some serious, fierce competition um, just just within Discord. Well, well, look. So we've been talking a lot about gaming, but I think one of the other really important components of Discord is that it's fundamentally a messaging app. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, if people haven't played with the product. I always like it as like a combination of of Skype meets Slack. Like where you can talk to each other over voice, but then you can also sort of text each other in a big group. Or it's really more like IRC and traditional IRC even than Slack, which is I've heard some people compare it. You know, messaging seems to be like such a big trend right now. You know, how do you see Discord fitting in overall into kind of this theme of messaging? Is it just for gamers? Does it do things that, that other messages don't, messengers don't even do? So Discord, you know, we designed it and, and are, are currently building it um, very much focused on gamers, right? We, we put in all sorts of features that m- make a lot of sense for gamers. Like it'll automatically show like what game you're playing next to your username. Um, but it turns out that it, that like non-gamers actually really enjoy the way that we've gone about um, building and, and making design decisions in Discord. In particular, um, you know, you mentioned IRC and what, we, what we've noticed and has been awesome and surprising is that like a substantial majority of the subreddits on Reddit that are related to gaming and many that aren't have replaced their IRC chat rooms with Discord links, um, which is which is really, really cool. So like if you go to, you know, slash r stocks, there's a Discord channel where people are talking about trading commodities. And so I think the notion of, of you know, like how, sh- like how does online group chat evolve and change over time is something that's interesting to us um, because that's, pretty much what we're doing with discord but focused on gaming and something that people haven't really been innovating on too much like slack has done an amazing job at building a new chat experience for for work environments but there's a lot about the way that slack works and sort of the contract that slack has with the the people using it and the organization using it makes it not great for just like open internet usage 
I know there's been a bunch of developer communities like the React community have, have, have gotten on Discord as well. You know, how do you think about voice versus text? You know, is voice the future? Is text the future? You know, how do you see that balance? Obviously, when you're playing games, voice is, is really important. But it's something that kind of, you know, we think about even more broadly, you know, right now, sort of a, a voice and text is these communication paradigms. People say they never make phone calls anymore. I don't actually make phone calls unless I'm calling my parents. Um, but I use Discord all the time. Right. So like I, I use computers to send my voice to other people. I just don't call them <laughs> phone numbers. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think talking to people will always have a place. I don't think there's ever a point in time when you're going to be like, nah, I don't really want to talk to anyone anymore. You're just going to type. <laughs> yeah. I'll just, uh, I mean, some people might prefer to type, but I mean, what we see is that there's, there's a time and a, and a place for typing and there's a time and a place for talking. And, um, and actually, People use both features pretty evenly split. You are a messaging product, and you know over the past six months, we've been hearing almost nonstop about bots with messaging products, whether it's bots in Messenger, bots in Slack. What do you think about bots in Discord? Right, right. So we actually have a bot API, and people have built bots in Discord, and some of them are really cool. Um, like you, you, Master Overwatch is this site for again for Overwatch where you they have a bot you can add to your server and then they give you slash commands where you can like look up your competitive rank of the people in your server, um, and like that's really cool. Um, but I think generally speaking, as a trend, bots have been like way overhyped. Like presently, the technology um, is basically like you get slash commands in your chat product, right? Which is cool, and I think for some businesses, allowing users to to a request data or send data to them through a chat product can be an awesome way to sort of remind people that the service exists. And some services, that's really all you need is to send a notification. But the notion that um, bots inside of chat apps are going to somehow replace rich UI uh, seems kind of wacky to me. Like, we actually make a joke, we joke about this a lot, where we're like, okay, we have slash commands, we should add buttons. And then, like, okay, once we have buttons, we need to have a rich UI so people can, like, have more data and update things. So why don't we create a markup language that people can embed inside of the chatbot UI so they can show stuff, um, and we can just call it hypertext. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that makes a certain certain amount of sense. And, 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 and yet, you know, I still laugh whenever somebody uses the air horn bot on Discord for well, me. And yeah, that. yeah. I mean, but see, that's the thing. Like, I think... I think um, bots as a as a feature inside of a messaging product, they can definitely add power to a messaging product, right? Like getting GitHub notifications when people commit things or tweet notifications when things on Twitter happen is awesome, right? But like, I don't, I'm not sure that there is a large array of products that exist right now where you could build a, a, a defensible business on top of a chat bot given the current state of. AI technology, right? Like a lot of like, the, I think the vision behind chatbots is really cool. If you could have an artificial intelligent agent that can actually converse with you and do things at, you know, contextually based on what you want, that's cool. Although I think there'll be a, like a creep factor to it because the best one is like, we're talking about something and then some weird AI bots like, Hey guys, I heard you were talking about going to, to Hawaii. This is a flight, you know, like that's like Google level. That's like Google ads, Gmail level. So like, we're not going to do that stuff. Um, we had another talk recently with Biz Stone from Jelly, another podcast, and you know a lot of what we talked about was where this stuff is going with Alexa and the always-on listening from your Amazon Echo and where that could go. And, and there actually is a lot of interesting stuff happening there. But I agree that that it, it's early and, and there's still a lot to form. So you know, just to kind of you know help wrap it up, look, Discord is is just been amazing. We got millions of people talking 
texting, sharing, playing together. Where do you want to go from here? How do you make the experience even better? Yeah, you know, there's there's so much to do with building communication products for gamers to make it better. I, I think at this point, we've got kind of broad strokes what we wanted to build. And now it's just a question of refining it, making it better, and thinking about how we can augment um, the experience in a, in a better way, right? Like one thing that I'll share that we really want to do at some point in the future is is improve our overlay, right? Like overlay technology um, has not really advanced much in the last 10 years. Like I think ours is really cool. It's like state of the art, if you will, but compared to what it should be, it's like, how come you can't text chat with your friends or easily share images and that sort of stuff? Um, and, and overlay, just define overlay for us. Ah, right. So overlay refers to when you're playing a game, a full screen game, um, to be able to overlay Discord UI onto that game without having to switch out of context. So like while you're playing a, a first person shooter or a, a MOBA, like if your if your character dies, let's say you get you know 15 seconds to wait. It would be great if in those 15 seconds you could do something to connect with your with your friends other than just talking to them. Lastly, you've built mobile games. You started this company building a tablet game. You know, we've talked mostly about Discord used within PC games where a lot of the core gaming is really happening today. You know, do you think we're still going to get to a future where a lot of core gaming happens in mobile tablets? Will Discord be there? Um, Discord will be wherever core gaming goes. Uh, we have an amazing mobile app on iPhone, Android, and iPad. Um, it's full Discord you know, feature set. Um, it's not clear to me yet, though, when core gaming will arrive in a big way on on mobile. Um, I play Hearthstone a lot on my phone, um, but PC is vibrant. It's thriving. You know, I spend most of my gaming time there, and um, you know, people have been calling the, the, the death of the PC for a very long time, and it's it's just it's kicking ass. Gaming's been great for PC industry. Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us your story through pivots, through tough things to this great success we hope we'll keep on going in discord all right thanks josh